One of the key truths of Christianity is this, that Jesus will return one day. And while we acknowledge that truth and look forward to that day, what does it mean for my life today? I mean, how does that truth impact how I live? Well, welcome to Bible Studies for Life, adult podcast hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And this is going to be our topic for the next several weeks is talking about the return of Christ and how we can live with the the return of Christ in mind. Chris, good to be with you for another podcast. Thank you, Lynn. It's always fun to do this podcast, especially when we have a chance to talk to the the author, the person who wrote the studies for us. And today we have Cliff Lee with us. Cliff, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, fellas. Yeah, Cliff. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you are as far as ministry and your family. Uh, Since 2007, Lynn and Chris, I've been privileged to be the senior pastor of First Baptist in Leesburg, Florida. And uh, we serve here as uh, we're a multi-site church and as well as have some community ministries. And I have five sons, three daughter-in-laws, one one fiance to be, uh, and one grandbaby on the way. So we are really thankful and blessed. My wife's name is Susie, and she serves here with me. And Cliff, you've been at the church uh, about 15 years, correct? Yeah, 15 years this coming summer. Well, Chris, just uh, I'm not going to go into all the details here, but I met Cliff when he was a high school student. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some fun stories there, but uh, I had an opportunity to meet Cliff and and some members of his youth group. Uh, I don't even know what year that was, Cliff. It was 88. 88. Yeah. Wow. I stayed at Lynn's house in Snyder, Texas. Yes, I you, did. you're older than I thought you were. Wow. Yes, I've had a lot of birthdays, too, man. Yeah, so, you, you look way too young to have that many uh, kids, <laughs> man. I got to tell you. So we're looking at um, end times as kind of a topic over the next several weeks. I know, Lynn, you're going to say a few things about that. But so I think there are two categories of people in most of our groups. One is that group of people who are fascinated by end times and prophecy and they want to talk about it all the time. And they say to Lifeway, we need more studies on the book of revelation. And then there are the people like me who are people who are fascinated by people who are fascinated by end times <laughs> prophecy. <laughs> I, I don't understand that or get that at all. So they, they intrigue me. So I think there are two groups of people uh regarding end times how's that joe all right so let's be clear on what we're going to be doing for these few weeks uh we talk about the end times and people we're going to study the book of revelation well we're going to be looking at a single passage a single uh teaching from jesus this is matthew 24 matthew 25 where he was teaching which often called the mount olivet discourse where he where he's talking about the end times so we're not going to be jumping to daniel uh, First Thessalonians or Revelation, any of these other passages, we're going to be kind of focused in right here. So we're going to begin. Go ahead. Yeah. One of the things uh, that we asked Cliff to do, and he did a great job, and as uh, especially for those of you who lead groups, we just want to re- reiterate what Lynn just said. We're, we're going to be in Matthew 24 and 25 for the next six weeks. And just we want to warn you and encourage you not to get ahead of yourself or not to jump to a favorite passage or a statement that Jesus makes, because we want the teaching itself to lead you to that place. So um, 
just just try to keep in mind that you're going to have to deal with um, uh, Matthew 24, 36 in week four. So you don't want to be talking about it in weeks one, two and three and not have anything left to say about it when you get to when we actually talk about it. How's that? Sure. So we're only going to be in the first 14 verses this week and during right. this podcast. So I tell you what, let me let me start us out. Uh, we're going to begin in verses. I'm just going to read verses one through three. And Cliff, if I can put you on the spot after I've read, I want you to give us the context of what's happening with Jesus and his disciples. But here's Matthew 24. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. But he replied to them, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. So while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Cliff, give us a little context here, would you? Yes. Uh, um, of course, many, most of your readers would know that Matthew 24 has the parallel passages uh, in Mark 13 and Luke 21. Or, yeah, Luke 21. And, if, and the way those are placed in each of those three Gospels is that it's toward the end of the Gospel, signifying that this is an event uh, toward the end of his ministry. He is headed toward, you know, uh, the end of his life. He is in Jerusalem. And so he started teaching. And of course, specifically in Matthew's gospel, it follows uh, chapter 23, which is a famous sort of blistering rebuke of the Pharisees <laughs> known as the woes, you know, the seven right. woes. And so he's definitely got everybody's attention. He's made a scene uh, uh, as he's entering the, the, the city and is ready for the last part of his life. And he wants to have a, a time with the disciples to breathe hope into them. But I'm sure that this was, Lynn, Chris, sort of a, a strange way to breathe hope into the disciples, because in verse two, when he tells them that not one stone of this temple that they're saying will ever will be standing, that didn't sound like a very hopeful thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> because, <laughs> well, because, you know, like it is true that Jewish people are not they didn't have idols, but they had powerful symbols, the Ark of the Covenant being one of them and the Temple of Solomon that had been this, you know, ma massive building for holy worship of the one true God for centuries now. It was these were these were city folks. This is like uh, this is like the Beverly Hillbillies go to New York City, you know, <laughs> and they and they see the big temple and likely the disciples had been there and had seen it before, but they couldn't imagine the, the statement that Christ made in verse two was a mind blowing thing to say. It would be like taking your, one of your kids to something that meant so much to them that they stood in awe of and to say, Hey, by the way, this is not going to make it. Everything you see here is going to be destroyed. So it, he was definitely trying to get their attention to give them hope about things to come. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that the temple for the Jewish people represented the presence of God among them. And now Jesus is saying, Hey, this is going to go away. Uh, that had to rock their world. Yes. And so they asked the obvious question, well, Jesus, when's this going to happen? And they tie that to this, uh, when's this going to happen about the temple? But then they say, what's the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Maybe there's an assumption on their part when that happens, you know, that that's the end for everything. Yeah. It's interesting that th one thing I do like about verse three and the disciples asking the when question 
is it reminds me that I'm not I'm not alone. Most people, when they hear about the end times, their first question is when <laughs> I have this memory I, 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 back in high school, I would go in and out of being bold for Christ. I don't know if y'all were the same way. Sure. Sometimes you stand for the Lord. Sometimes you're, you know, finding the next, uh, you know, tri- popular pursuit kind of thing. But I remember when I was really getting serious. It was probably wasn't too far after a church camp or a church retreat, Lynn. Uh, I was really reading about the end times. And I remember seeing this guy that I'd gone to school with for years. And I just went over to him and I said, hey, by the way, I want you to know that Christ is coming back. And that was my, I guess, my evangelism explosion uh, attempt, you know, at witnessing. <laughs> he, he wasn't a Christian, didn't go to church. He looked at me and he knew that I was a churchy guy. And he goes, are you serious? When? <laughs> As if I had some insight to when he was coming back. And I just, I tried to use that to talk to him about the gospel. But so my friend in high school, that was the first question he asked is when. Most of us, when we think about Christ returning, our question is when. And the disciples in verse three, their first question is when, and if you notice closely in the next many verses, Christ does not give them the satisfactory specific answer that we're still asking today. He gives them principles, generalities, but he doesn't answer specifically the when. So one of the things that we used kind of as a guide for us is, is this statement. It's, it's okay <laughs> to, to wonder when he's coming to going to come again. It's, for those who who want to know and are intrigued by these things, um, it, it, it's okay to ask that question. Yeah, sure. Now, one of the challenges we're going to face, uh, not just with this session, but as we go through Matthew 24, 25, Jesus is going to refer to events that have to do with the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 AD. And he's also going to be referring to events that have to do with his second coming and, and you know, the, the truth, the end of times, the, the challenge for us is making the distinction when he's talking about one and when he's talking about the other. But for the moment, what I want us to see is, is as Chris said, it's okay to question things, to ask the questions, but if we're going to get into verses four through eight, Jesus is going to help us to say, hey, look, there's going to be some traumatic things, but don't, don't let that be, don't, don't be deceived by this. Let me, let me give you Jesus's words here, beginning in verse four. Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Where you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. So it seems like that every generation thinks that the end of time will come in their lifetime or it's coming soon. Now, that seems to be over the past, I don't know, 50, 60, 100 years. Every generation has thought, oh, things can't get any worse. And they keep getting worse and it still hasn't happened. Well, sure. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, 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 just, I sometimes try to think about if you were an evangelical Christian in during World War II. Good example. And, and you were studying end times and, so, and so you were having an end times discussion. Somebody raised their hand and said, hey, I think Hitler's the Antichrist. I don't think there would have been a soul in the room that would say, you're crazy. You know, <laughs> Everything was pointing to that being the case. I have this memory of 
uh, as a uh, university minister out in West Texas uh, in the late 90s, there was this preacher that said that he felt like Prince Charles was going to be the Antichrist. And I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah. But before that, Saddam was the Antichrist. So, hey, Cliff, I remember in the early 70s, a book that came out about Henry Kissinger being the Antichrist. Uh, I'm sure. Oh, I thought yeah. you were going to go late great planet Earth, Lynn. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and it, but it's just true. Every generation has kind of had that thought. Uh, and I love Jesus' thing. You know, things are going to get bad, but don't let the world deceive you on these things. So if, if, if we watch the news, the, the, what we see almost every night, the lead uh, is a weather, natural disaster kind of thing. We, we just endured some of those things or uh, conflict, and a war and rumors of war. So every day on the news, we have these types of things going on. Exactly what Jesus said would happen. Yeah, um, I think that, like, for Christ gets to say whatever he wants to say. <laughs> there, there are some of us that wish that when in verse 8, you know, when he says, but these are the beginning of the birth pangs, that there would have been more, uh, you know, specificity. But it is true. I think he's trying to let us know that the world is not going to naturally get better. It is going to get more difficult. Every generation will see difficulty. But part of verse 8, keeps us away from the date setting and the pinpointing and, oh, this has got to be it. I remember going to one of my seminary professors said, we need to read a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. And I think what was meant by that is let's apply the Bible to our current life. But there is danger in doing that as well. Sure. And I think that probably Christ's vagueness that he's, the, you know, there is a, there's specifics, but it's so general that it feels vague to the people that are super curious. It was given that way intentionally. So we wouldn't be overcome with a particular news story. You know, when I was in high school, we had some neighbors uh, just kind of catty corn to us. Uh, they sold everything they had. Now this was the mid seventies. They sold everything they had because they were convinced by reading the Bible, watching the news, Jesus was coming back and they headed off kind of that survivalist mentality to somewhere in the backwoods of Arkansas, man. And I'm thinking, to be <laughs> and I'm thinking that was 40, 45 years ago. Wow. That, that happened. I thought, I wonder if they're still hold up down there, you know, just, or, or, or did they give up? I don't know. But again, we can take this to extremes. Jesus is kind of, he's just kind of, look, things are going to happen. But with this, the things that are going to happen, he's also going to talk about persecution. I mean, it's going to get personal. Before we get to persecution, and I, we do need to get there, uh, a part of the premise of Bible Studies for Life is we want people to have conversations and to discuss these things. And everything that Jesus has said and everything that we're talking about here will open great doors of opportunity for people to engage and to talk about their experiences and their thoughts about these kind of things and in the end, the end times. So again, to leaders, we want to encourage you. This is a great opportunity to give people a chance uh, to talk and to share and to express concerns, thoughts, feelings that they have in a discussion format. Good point. Okay. Let's look at verse nine. Matthew 24, verse 9, Jesus is still talking. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. 
you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So is yeah. it safe to assume that the whole world hasn't heard uh, since he hasn't come yet? I think it is, you know, safe to there, there's a lot of different takes on verse 14, but uh, no, it's, it, once again, the vagueness of it, it doesn't say that once the la there, you know, we read in Revelation 7, 9, that there'll be representatives from every tribe, uh, tongue, people and nation. So that is the case. But it, that Revelation 7, 9 and Matthew 24, 14 don't specify. Does that mean that the last time that there's an unreached people group <laughs> and someone from that group sure. gets saved, that that ushers in the return? Maybe Paul Chitwood could enlighten us from the IMB on what missiology's thought is there. I just think verse 14 tells us that while we wait for the end to come, we have a gospel to take to the nations. And but I think I think you still could get an end times and missiology connection. If sure. there are people groups that haven't heard, then it's probably a sign that Christ's return won't happen yet. And Cliff, with us, I see that he's telling us the persecution is going to happen. But even in that context, we can still share the gospel of Christ. And yeah. that's our ultimate calling in that. I think I'd also point out, uh, Lynn and Chris, to the teachers in verse 13 to not miss a doctrinal moment. I, I sometimes... As an mm. expository Bible teacher, I look for ways, because I don't necessarily teach systematic theology from the pulpit, but I like to see points in my messages where, oh, there's some folks here that are new Christians. They're, they don't know about the Trinity, or they don't know about this, but this, you know, as Southern Baptists, we, we believe in the doctrine of eternal security. We believe in once saved, always saved. And verse 13 is a good verse to remind us of, it's a, of the biblical foundation of that. Um, don't, don't let someone raise their hand and say, oh, does this mean that endurance secures or merits our salvation? No, Christ is basically giving in verse 13, a really short definition of a Christian that Christians are marked by perseverance. If you don't persevere, if you turn away from the faith, it means you didn't really know Christ. First John right. two nineteen is one of those references, but this is one of those signs of the true believers that yes, believe true believers can have conflict with each other. As we read before, true believers will be hated by others. It's not a popularity contest, but endurance marks true believers. Good word. Good reminder. Hey, let me just, as I know we're kind of wrapping this up. Let me just caution us all on one part of this, not just for this session, but as we talk about the return of Christ, uh, I would dare say that you as a listener, you have a particular millennial view you hold to. You know, there's amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial dispensational, historical premillennial. I mean, there's multiple views. And I no doubt you have your view in mind, and that's the correct view, <laughs> I'm sure. But what we need to remember is people in our groups, people have studied this and seen it in different directions. And you may have one particular millennial view, but they hold another one. I'm just going to ask, respect their position on that. Uh, this is certainly not a place for arguments or uh, 
let me tell you why you're wrong. Uh, there are some wonderful, there's some really good books out there. Uh, there's one, I, uh, a really valued reading called the, the four views of the millennium. And uh, this book is still out there, but it's where uh, a person, a, a scholar of one particular viewpoint presented why he thinks uh, all millennial is the view. And the other three scholars based on their millennial views, they said, Hey, let me tell you why I disagree with you. Very respectful in how they did that. But what this book also reminded me is there are some really godly men who hold to the inerrancy of scripture to still come away with different interpretations of the millennium, uh, even how we interpret certain parts of Matthew 24, 25. So I, thank you, Lynn. That's a good reminder. We need to, we need to keep in mind. Um, I'm reminded of a conversation I had not too long ago where a good friend just called me and said, you know, I just came to the realization that I really have no idea what I think, what I believe about the end times. And I, I think most of our, uh, group members are probably in that camp. They just have probably not thought about it. They let's kick that can down the road. We'll think about that another time. And so I, 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 I think that there's going to be a, a group of people who have strong views and are going to articulate them. You're exactly right. But I think there's going to be a whole lot more people who are going to go, you know, I'd really never thought about it. I, uh, this is just a good time to do this study. Cause I don't know. You know, the beauty is, uh, church I served, Cliff, the church I was at in West Texas, we got to talking one day among the, the four staff members, and there was a realization that we had three different millennial views represented among the four of us. And you know what that did to our relationships? Absolutely nothing. Uh, I mean, it was just, we realized, yeah, we see these things different, but we still work for the same purpose in the same cause. Uh, but but uh, not everyone, not everyone, can do that. They struggle with that. I'm just asking that we ought to respect each other. Let's learn. Let's learn from each other. But at the same time, let's respect other people's positions. Thanks. Got that off my chest. Very good. <laughs> I think we'll probably hear that one again. Hey, thank you, uh, Lynn, for uh, leading our conversation tonight. Cliff, great job in writing. Thank you for sharing with us today. Uh, we're going to give you, in just a moment, the last word, but uh, we want to thank you for writing and for being a part of this podcast. You're going to be back with us in a few weeks, um, but uh, why, don't you, why don't you take the, the last word on uh, verses 20, chapter 24, verses 1 through 13. Okay, I was fastened a moment ago to verse nine, where it says, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. I don't think we use this verse on any gospel tracks, you know, <laughs> it's not exactly <laughs> what attracts people to Jesus. Hey, sign up, follow Christ, you'll be hated. But, you know, that's something we need to remember. Uh, there is something within us that likes being liked, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, you know, natural human emotion. But Christ you know, also in other places like John 15 said, remember, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And it doesn't mean that we should pursue hatred. It doesn't mean that we should be down in the dumps because of it. And there also is a sense where it, the kinder you are, you know, Proverbs says a kind man benefits himself. Um, people hate you less when you are kind and loving to them. But I, I guess the message of the gospel is so offensive. And I think we can sense, Chris and Lynn, in our culture, the gospel is becoming more and more offensive and holding on to the mm -hmm. word. So I guess I want to say, let's don't change our views on doctrine and truth because the world hates us. If you expect hatred, you know, imagine all of like the college and NFL football teams, if they're going into a town where they know they're hated, like a divisional rival, 
they don't expect for, you know, the Cowboys don't expect the Eagles to clap when they see the Cowboys. <laughs> Welcome. You know, you expect <laughs> hatred. Therefore, you're not shocked by it. We should expect for Christ's word in verse nine to be true. That was sort of a, it's not necessarily summarizing the whole passage, but that's sort of a final devotional thought that I, that I had uh, for our podcast today. Thanks, Cliff. Appreciate that very much. And as uh, Chris said, Cliff's going to be with us in a few episodes uh, down the road. Uh, but we hope uh, you and your group, whether you lead the group or you're just a group member, uh, take some time to read on this and study this passage. And you guys have a great Bible study this week. We'll see you next week. 